Hey everybody, this is Cameron Brower, and my alien life starts in... Welcome to my Alien Life Podcast. My name's Cam Brower, and I'm honored to have you with me tonight. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com on the radio dial, where you can get your latest download at iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, podbean.com. I really appreciate everyone finding me on social media. Email me your alien abduction and UFO stories, please. Email links are at our website. I'm excited to have you along tonight because this is the show that I've wanted to tell for so long. I really wanted to get this one off my chest and move on to many, many more great podcasts. So, okay. Um, Yeah. Very long time ago, probably like 25 years ago, I started to kind of formulate a plan. I wanted to tell my story and experiences to someone. Um, I wanted to tell someone about my experiences with um, intelligent mobile organisms, IMOs, aliens, ETs, whatever you want to call them. I thought back then maybe I'd write a book because um, a book can reach people, but it's hard to reach people who will make your book available to other interested readers. So I probably waited a little too long to write a book. And then the Internet came along and everyone was getting used to to browsing news, art, and culture, and and uh, not spending as much time reading, and um, you know, just not spending as much time reading just one thing. So I tried the internet for a while and threw together a few websites. I did websites on alien conspiracies, and they're probably still out there, although um, probably no way to find those now, but they're out there somewhere, um, still floating around the internet. It was very crude, and if you looked at it today, your first thought would be, that you know my my websites back then probably looked like the late 90s they still you know um <laughs> very very dated and uh there are lots of other UFO alien related websites that that still look like they're very 1990s but you know late 90s or so but I think that's really cool I love to see those sites that haven't changed in 20 years and and there's still a few of those that are, that keep getting updated and I think they're awesome and it's it's kind of like an internet history lesson that you can go back in time and look at those, but they're very, very cool. Um, then there was a podcast, and you don't have to worry about how you look. You don't have to have experience, and if you have a voice and a story, uh, yeah, you can be up and running in no time. So I wish I would have had a, a earlier start. I wish I would have started this sooner, but there's lots of encounters in my head, and I'm having a great time and uh, just so much fun uh, recording and publishing this stuff, and I'm hoping you're having a great time too. So um, when I made my first podcast, I was worried about all the anxiety that this could stir up and all the trouble that I went to to get it going, but but so far so good. And, and, And podcasting has been great therapy for me, so I'm hoping you're enjoying it too. 
as I thought about which story to tell for this podcast number eight, it occurred to me that I've been stringing you and myself along and really putting off the stories that I don't want to talk about. And, uh, and those stories that I really hate to think about. So what you're going to hear tonight is one of those handfuls of encounters I find the most frightening and an encounter that's really a, pain, a painful one to think about. It's, it's one of those encounters that, that literally made me sick. It was upsetting and so terrifying, and it caused, caused me all kinds of health problems related to the extreme anxiety um, after this encounter I suffered. And uh, to this day, I still do um, sometimes, which is like 38 years later. So, um, yeah, there were, there were panic attacks and anxiety and depression and migraine headaches and a variety of other stomach issues. And, and I think the list kind of goes on. But uh, that's the whole purpose of this podcast is, is recovery and, and getting this out in the open. And, and I can feel a lot better about my experiences and, and hoping that you can enjoy them a little bit too while we talk about them and, and uh, maybe in the future we can talk about yours and, and it'll, it'll do you good, I, I guarantee. Um, this is an encounter that happened at my childhood home and uh, really close to home. It happened in my bedroom and I only slept a handful of nights in that bedroom after this encounter that we're talking about tonight. Um, after I moved out and went to college, I returned home a few visits um, and a few times where I could have stayed in the house and in my bedroom, but I stopped because I couldn't even be in the house after a while, and, I, and it definitely wasn't going to be in that bedroom. Um, there is little doubt in my mind that that bedroom is some kind of a threshold or porthole for IMOs, um, intelligent man, mobile organisms, or aliens, or travelers um, from another dimension. Whatever they are, they can come and go willfully somehow through that house and specifically through that bedroom that I grew up in. And I feel that, and I just know that. Um, and for me, there was one event that was the beginning of what I remember as a series and years of contact with these extraterrestrial sightseers. I know that sounds dramatic and cliche because... There's so many UFO and portal stories, but I, I don't have any other explanation. And um, that's something that I've been looking for for so long is another explanation and, and uh, other stories that are similar to mine that would help me explain what I went through. Um, I've been in the presence of some kind of extraterrestrial being many times, and I've had the chance to observe and analyze the information for a very, very long time without any outsiders helping me to cloud my judgment or to help my judgment. So um, hopefully you may be able to help me with that in the future. My parents bought this house in about 1965 for about seven grand. <laughs> I, I think we moved in when I was about one into this very, very expensive house, but it probably wasn't expensive or inexpensive back then, but they did a lot of remodeling, and about seven years later, they remodeled the basement, and it uh, became a bedroom and a large storage room. Um, the storage room had an attached room that was like six by six, and um, it was lined from, from floor to ceiling with these flat rocks, so it's kind of like this flat rock wall inside there, and all the rocks were about the same size, and they were stacked... Um, 
with similar rocks. And you'd see um, a rock wall like this in in old house basements where they, they were the foundation. Um, except in this room, there was no grout between the between the rocks. They were loosely stacked and and the dirt could kind of fall through the cracks and down on the floor. And we used, we used it as a root cellar um, for vegetables from our garden that we had in the back of the house. We had a big garden there. The cellar door was a lot different from all the other doors in the house. It was very old, much older than the house itself. And um, the door for that root cellar must have been scavenged from a much older house in the area. And and as an, an adult, I thought that, uh, you know, I, I didn't think much about it when I was a kid, but as an adult, I thought the cellar was kind of strange. But the strangest part was, I thought about all those rocks that were there. Were, were, were they were all the same kind and they were roughly the same shape and size. And now this is this is way before Home Depot, and I believe that the house was probably built prior to 1930. Um, the other strange thing is that that these rocks are like nothing like you'd see in that part of Montana. You don't see those rocks anywhere. Um, this Monta- part of Montana had been under thousands of feet of ice during the glaciation, and all the rocks in the area were for hundreds of miles, square miles around, were um, rounded and had a variety of colors and shapes. And, you know, when I'd walk out on the prairie, every every rock out there was different. Um, so if these rocks were hauled in from hundreds of miles or 100 miles or however far, it probably would have taken three or four trips to get those rocks to the house. A lot of effort for a little tiny root cellar um, back in the day. So it was just a really odd little room. And and uh, growing up on the Rocky Plain, I know there are lots of rocks to be found, and you can literally get them for free in the area if you just took a few minutes. And uh, these materials that this root cellar were made of were absolutely odd, didn't fit into anything else around the house, nor did anybody else that I knew of in town had a, would have a room like this. So, And I didn't like that small room for some reason. I, I, I avoided it. So... Uh, the storage room next to my bedroom, it was a typical basement and junk treasure room. Um, we kept all, anything extra that we had in the house. The room would only really get active or used once a year when my mom would start tomatoes and other vegetables for the garden in the next room. She had a couple of uh, those fluorescent grow lights that would hang from the ceiling and they would light the small table that was in there. And she would um, plant these little plants like tomatoes and, and whatever else in these um milk cartons that she cut in half and and that light would uh you know go through the door and enter my room and um and it was just there was two rooms and the door separated the two rooms and and I would always see light come through the door and I would leave that that door just to crack open because I always liked a little bit of light in my room if I ever got up in the middle of the night and uh without that light in the next room my basement bedroom was extremely dark while my bedroom was in the basement, we had two other bedrooms in the house. One was my the bedroom of my parents, and the other one was the bedroom of my brother. And uh, they were up on the second floor with the uh, first floor was a kind of a, a void between my bedroom and their bedrooms and uh, a fairly well-insulated space between floors, which meant for some reason if I ever started screaming no one would hear me way down there. Um, so yeah, if anything went down and I was in my bedroom, I was on my own. I could, I could scream all night and nobody would hear me. So uh, 
my bedroom was fairly large. My bed fa- faced the wall um, on the other side of the room with a sm- that had a small window, which was kind of about 12 inches high. Um, if I was laying in bed to my right, there were the stairs that came down into my room um, from the main floor and to the right. And behind my head was the, uh, the storeroom. And um, I had a dresser, a fold-out couch, I remember, a bookshelf. And I had this awesome 18-inch black and white television. It was a decent-size bedroom for me, and I used to stay up late. I'd watch this old black and white TV. Back then, we had nothing but Canadian TV, a couple of American channels. So I may have had about six channels, but mostly Canadian. And um, I used to watch that, and I used to stay up late. And sometimes I would watch TV until 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, this particular night, and the story that I want to talk about tonight, like other nights, I watched TV until I could no longer stay awake, and uh, I had drifted off to sleep. Back then, um, you know, living with the whole family, I used to spend a lot of time with my brother Tom, a lot of time with my brother Tom. He's seven years younger and uh, just a really, really lively kid back then, always ready to play, and I was a good brother. He was an awesome kid, and I would have done anything for him. We were brothers like normal brothers, and uh, brotherly love dictated that I spent a lot of time tormenting him and picking on him, and we're always being told to to stop being so loud and to quit fighting and to go outside. And outside, we were always out on the prairie. With my brother, we would go on, uh, on short adventures out on the prairie. We didn't stray far from the house and usually stayed within a quarter mile. And uh, I don't remember any encounters that I had when we were out there together, when I was out there with my brother. I don't remember any strange things happening, but... Uh, I do have my suspicions, and, and I think about that a lot. If you ever talk to Tommy, my brother, I know he'd tell you something different. He remembers going on long hikes on the prairie and where we'd both get scared and we'd come running home, and he would tell me this and, and would never really elaborate, and I would never ask him. Um, my self-preservation mechanism would kick in, and uh, when I heard enough of, of his stories and, and things that I thought that I, that I was currently worrying about and events that I'd had in my life. I didn't really want to hear that he was having those same, those, those same encounters. Um, and then he quit talking about our walks on the prairie and, uh, he quit talking about things that, uh, that he thought were happening that were odd in his life. And then, he only had bad dreams, and uh, the dreams were always the same. Something was trying to get him. Sometimes they did get him, and he said they would always bring him back, though, and they left him outside or, or in the entryway to our house. Tommy and I used to love watching wrestling on my little TV in my basement room, and we'd spend a couple hours every Saturday wrestling and watching wrestling. I'd let him punch me, slap me, anything he wanted to do that would keep him interested in wrestling and playing with me. And if it got too rough, you know, he'd want to quit. Um, He loved to come downstairs on the weekend while I was sleeping. And uh, he would wake me up like on Saturday and Sunday mornings, usually by jumping on me and, and we'd start wrestling. 
in my bed. And, and yeah, it was, those are good times and, and good memories. And we both love that. So it really wasn't a big deal on this particular Sunday morning when I felt him slap me on the forehead and wake me up. Although this wasn't a typical Tommy slap. This was a hard slap and I felt the sting and I heard the slap. The noise itself could have woken me. I opened my eyes expecting to see him in front of me when I turned my head to the right. He wasn't there. The morning light I was expecting to see from the stairway to my right wasn't there either. There was light, however, coming from behind me from the cracked doorway. It was the light from my mother's indoor vegetable garden. It was a strange position that I was in in my bed when I woke up, and um, it was strange to see that light behind me. I could also see the alarm clock behind me with its red digital numbers that were upside down, and I could read the time, and it was 3.33 in the morning. I moved my hands around to the lower part of my back to find out, find out why I was in that weird position. My three pillows were all stacked on top of each other, and they were under my back, which was arched and allowing me to see the door behind me and my headboard shelves and the clock. That was odd because the position was really uncomfortable, and it would have been hard to sleep that way. I never would have piled those in the middle of the night or never tried to sleep that way. I started to sit up, sliding the pillows out from under my back toward my head. I only made it halfway. The light from the storeroom was enough to light the bookshelf on the other side of the room, and the light illuminated something I didn't expect. Something so shocking, I froze in terror. For a split second... I thought it was the profile of a tall man, but it wasn't a man. It wasn't even human. Every muscle locked. My body was in this half-sit-up position, and I could feel my heart squeezing, trying to compensate for my sudden need of adrenaline, oxygen, and anything else my body could produce to get me out of this bed and out of that room. wouldn't work. I couldn't even move. It didn't move. If I moved, I wondered what would happen. I was frozen in shock and terrified of the unknown. My heart hurt as I looked on helplessly. I felt like I was having a heart attack, but my actual heart itself was doing a great job. My brain, though, wasn't doing nearly as well, and it needed help. It wasn't moving my muscles. And I didn't want to move my muscles, and I didn't want to be there looking at this thing this human shape that was looking straight at the wall to my left. I was certain it had to know I was in the room. My mind raced as I tried to identify what kind of thing this was. I could see the profile of the face, and I could see one eye. It looked unhappy, and it was scowling for sure, and there could be fear as well. I had never felt this kind of fear before, and I have never felt it since. The figure in front of me didn't move. Was it too scared to move? It looked at the wall to my left and was motionless. Was it frozen with fear like I was? I doubt these organisms experience fear, but this was one experiencing something. It just swayed back and forth a bit as it faced the wall. I couldn't see its feet, but I knew it was suspended in air at least six inches off the ground because its whole body barely moving forward, backwards, left and right, but just a little, just a little so it was noticeable. It was frozen and the look on its face resembled terror. Again, I am certain they don't experience fear. And I kept wondering what it was doing. 
Again, I could only see the profile and make out the detail of a wrinkled alien skin. I could see a hand, and it didn't look like a full human hand. I was distracted, though, by something familiar, something with that figure that I had seen before. I thought it had a yellow wig on its head, and as my eyes darted back and forth and focused in and out of terror, I knew I was looking at something that was a hat, like a rain hat, like a fisherman's yellow rain hat, the fisherman on the frozen fish box at the grocery store, specifically a Dutch harbor rain hat that didn't have a front flap, but it did extend down the back of the neck of this creature a little bit. The hat blended into a sort of a jacket that it was wearing uh, with three-quarter sleeves that was the same exact color, the same color as yellow hair. And in a fit of terror, I could have confused that easily like the confusion I had when I was five years old. The hat and jacket were very shiny, so shiny that they could have been wet, shinier than plastic, almost like it was giving off its own yellowish hair glow. During this terrifying time, and now, I've never come up with a reason an alien or any other creature would need that kind of clothing on Earth or anywhere. Then again, I've never been there, and I had no idea where this thing was from. So we're in some kind of a Mexican standoff. My muscles were burning. I used every ounce of strength I had to stay in that position or to keep from twitching or both. As this thing seemed to move slightly, it was now bobbing up and down a bit and moving slightly up and down, probably not over an inch, but it was still literally suspended in air, floating and turning toward me slightly. And I knew it was going to turn toward me. I knew it. I was anticipating that turn. I feared that turn, and I knew when it would start turning and make eye contact I would absolutely lose my mind. It turned and I could see its face. It wasn't gray and it was was not brown. It was somewhere in between. I could get a much better look at its downturned mouth now, which was upside down in a U-shape, but still very, very small. The head was about the size of a human, but it was longer vertically a grayish-brown human-sized head that was elongated. I couldn't see ears, but there were nostrils and a slight nose bump, and there were the eyes. I had expected to see a furrowed brow with scowling eyes looking directly at me. And there was no doubt this thing could see me, and there was a furrowed, scowling look that was stretched longer than a human face, but it wasn't that look of anger. It wasn't anger. This thing looked frozen. It looked terrified. What kept me from going insane were the eyes. They weren't piercing eyes that were directed at me or a part of me. They were dark, black, and there was a shine to them that no other other feature, uh, no other feature in the eyes. It didn't have pupils or any other feature, but just these black eyes. And they looked larger than human eyes, but I don't think they were larger. There were no eyelids. There were no eyebrows. There were no eyelashes. These wide open eyes didn't blink because there were no eyelids. And that's what made them look bigger. It just hovered there or floated or drifted slightly up and down, left, right, forward, back. And not more than an inch. Its terrified scowl frozen 
and just staring straight ahead. I sat in that position for minutes, then an hour and longer and longer. Each second began to be painful and my heart kept pumping blood through my burning muscles. I wondered how long this would go on. I wondered if time had stopped and we could be stuck in this suspended state forever. We, yeah, I thought we. Me and this fisherman alien with a shiny hat and jacket. And then I started getting leg cramps in my calves first and then my thighs. Exquisite pain that felt like my body was slowly being torn apart. This thing and its terrified gaze literally looking through me. I tried to mentally send it a message saying that I would gladly give up. Give up what? If it would just let me go so I could run upstairs. My ears were pounding and ringing. The pain was so distracting and so intense. I had moments where all I could visualize was my legs and now my lower back. The migraine in my head and that was pounding went all the way down to my back. My vision was getting blurry. And I thought about getting my tonsils out and the pain in my much younger body and how that thing picked me up and carried me. Now I could taste blood in my mouth as I bit into my right cheek. I think I forced myself not to cry because I didn't want this thing to see the slightest movement, not even a tear. I thought it had to be like 6 a.m. in the morning and someone would get up soon and find me in this state. And who knows what this creature would do. And I was terrified for the whole family because it wouldn't leave. And I heard a bird chirp outside. And then I heard more than one bird. It had to be morning. This standoff had been going on two to three hours for sure. And yes, there were birds my vision was almost gone, but I could hear the birds outside. And I woke up. It was 9.30. I struggled for a moment because I felt exhausted. I tried to grasp something I felt I should remember. And then I remembered it. All of it. Somewhere during that night, I lost consciousness. And right now I look to the foot of my bed and there was nothing. My pillows were on the floor and my bed was wet. And my bedding was all over. And there was a hole ripped in the bottom sheet. And I knew I did it with my right hand because it was in the right spot. And my hand would slide right through that hole. And the thing at my foot of my bed was gone. I went upstairs and sat down at the table. I ate frosted flakes. I poured heaping teaspoons of sugar on the cereal and ate. I drank orange juice and milk with spoonfuls of sugar. My mom came in and I said to my mom, Mom, I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw something weird standing in my room. My mom said, maybe it was a ghost. And that was it. Conversation done. And this, the first time I've ever told the whole story. Thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. You make this 100% worthwhile, and I absolutely love your comments and questions, so keep them coming in. We'll talk about those in the next episode. This website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com, and our latest download is at iTunes and at podbean.com. 
please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. There is so much more to come, and I hope you'll enjoy every episode and join me in future episodes. I'm Cam Brower, and this is My Alien Life. Thank you.